Welcome to the Companion Chapel. My name is Mike, coming to you from the Great Lakes area of beautiful Ontario, Canada, December 20, 220. Today's lesson is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's about what's in your heart, what God wants that you to have in your heart. And today's today's podcast is about love. And it's called charity in the Bible. This podcast in the Companion Chapel Worldwide Ministry is brought to you by your Generous donations. Thank you so much. Go to companionchapel.com, Visa, MasterCard, or PayPal, or e-transfer to email address companionchapel at gmail.com. Or support simply by emailing me just to say hi, questions, or comments, companionchapel at gmail.com. Or come visit. Just throw on a mask and come visit. Number 338, Side Road 28-29, slash Sogging Shores. That's S-A-U-G-E-E-N. Ontario, Canada, NOG2GO, and come on by. And if you have any time or anything that you can donate, it's construction materials, labor, or firewood. It's freezing here. I'm here all by myself, so come on by. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and God teaching through Paul. Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. This is the boring guy. If you teach and you're teaching people that they understand, that means in their tongue, and and you don't have love in your heart, it's, it's not in you. You don't love it. You're just teaching, then you sound like monotone guy, boring guy, or something irritating, or something that's just like, ticking away in the background that's driving you crazy okay you have to have love this this chapter is all about love the word charity means love and though i have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge and though i have all faith so that i could remove mountains and have not charity i am nothing you can't do anything without love in your heart it's just if you're just going through the motions and this goes to repentance too now I'll refer to in the gospels about those two young men and they were told to go do something they were told to go serve and the one boy he goes like this he says yeah 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 i'll be there i'll do it no problem i'm gonna be there and what happens he's a no-show doesn't show up it's not in his heart to do it he finds something better to do he's gonna go serve somewhere else serve someone else who knows then the other boy is like, the other boy just says flat out, no, I'm not going to go do it. And then he thinks about it and he repents. Now this word repent, when he repented in this part of the Bible, it's not a repent from the heart. It's not a repent out of love, out of giving, out of charity. That's what love is. He repented because he thought about the circumstances that were going to happen if he wasn't going to go do it. So they both failed. They both could not enter the kingdom of God. He thought about consequences and weighed his options. Say, hey, this is going to be more trouble than it's worth if I don't show up. So he just repented and went for that reason. And the word repent is a different word in the manuscripts for that repent. And the repent God expects of you, which is free will love. And here it's called charity, charity, love, giving. Remember, all God's ways of gain are by giving. All the adversaries' ways, all the devil's, demons, evil spirits' ways of gain are by taking. 
no love whatsoever, no charity in their hearts. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profit me not it profiteth me nothing. So Paul is saying here, listen, uh, if you go through all the motions and lip service of being a churchy guy or whatever you're doing, and it's not in your heart, then it means nothing. There's no righteous acts are going to be recorded for Paul if that was in his heart. And it says, my body to be burned. This is a figure of speech. He just gives, he's burning off all his time and money and everything that all his gains of worldly gains. He's just burning them off or giving them away, figure of speech here, to sacrifice to go ahead and, and teach the Bible. But if there was no love in his heart and he's just going through the motions because he's expecting uh, what, whatever, just trying to make it through the day, then there's no righteous acts recorded. Verse 4, charity, love. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity, th charity, charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Envy is jealousy. And jealousy is a word that we just did a study on a couple days ago. And it, jealousy is something that, in the Bible, as it's written in the book of Proverbs, um, who can stand against jealousy? Nobody. Because jealousy is something the person conceives within themselves. They give birth to it. They nurture it. It becomes an anxiety. It becomes a fear. It becomes a worry. It's, it's so closely related. And in the Hebrew language, it's, they just, it's a descriptive word. That's, it's like your, your stomach is filled with curdled milk. You feel sick and nauseous. Like you wind yourself up. That's not love. If you love somebody, uh, say you love your boyfriend or your, or your husband, and he goes off to the store and he's a couple hours and then he comes back. It's like, are you burning up inside with jealousy? Are you going through his phone, through his email, or vice versa? Who are you talking to? Who's text messaging you? What are you doing? That's not love. That's a demon of envy. That's a demon of jealousy. And how do you feel when you do that? Exactly like the Hebrew word says. It says you have, it feels like you have a belly full of curdled milk. You're sick. You're, you're conjuring up a poison. And nobody can stand for that because you've made it up in your mind. You've made this whole scenario and scene up in your mind, and 99% of the time, it's not even close to the truth. So that's, uh, there's no love in being jealous. That's a weakness. Uh, charity vaunteth. That means it doesn't sit there and brag. It doesn't sit there and, and boast around. And uh, charity is not puffed up. Charity is not your self-pride. Charity doesn't give heed to entitlement. Charity means humble and meek. And don't ever forget what meek means. The meek shall inherit the earth. Meek means to afflict, as in the Hebrew word means self-discipline. Learning to say no to yourself. Learning not to chase after every curiosity that comes up, up in front of you that is outside of God's word or that just... I'm just going to go do this now. I'm just going to go do that now. No matter how morally or ethically uh, v corrupt it is. No, it's not puffed up. No, you don't have the right to go and act like that. And you can't call it love. Doth, uh, verse 5, doth not behave itself unseemly. Charity doesn't behave itself unseemly. It's not perverted. It doesn't go around making rude comments. 
It doesn't go around like being barnyard morals. That's not charity. That's lust, period. Seeketh not her own, is easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Charity's not selfish. As I said earlier, all God's ways of gain are by giving. And that's opposite of seeking your own. That's taking. And charity isn't e love isn't easily provoked. Love stands solid. Jesus Christ is love. And love is the light. And the light is the truth. And the truth is the great separating force between a true story and a lie. And there's where envy doesn't fit in at all. And it's not easily provoked. Yeah, if you really love somebody, then you are a forgiver. And that's how you get along in this world, especially in your own household, husband and wife. There has to be two forgivers. Because when somebody doesn't forgive, then they're holding something. They're either making something up or they're, they're if you're not forgiving, then you're marginalizing Christ's whole act on the cross. Then you're judging. And a forgiver means you you put it behind you and you always consider human frailty and you always talk about it and, and make sure, okay, that really bothered me, but don't ever throw it up in their face again. Rubbing people's face in the past is not love. That's, that's um, vengeful, spiteful hate. Uh, thinking no evil, obviously. You don't think any evil. Rejoice not in your iniquity. Our love does not... Uh, Rejoice in iniquity, and iniquity is unrighteousness, but it rejoiceth in the truth. And the truth is a great separating force between right and wrong, good and evil, a truth and a lie, and heaven and hell. There is no negotiating there. There's no lawyers there trying to make it, trying to negotiate for you, trying to convince others, yes, this is right, I'm right, I'm a good person. Well, what's your standard? Is something that you made up? That's how you judge yourself to be a good person? What it, in the last verse, a couple chapters ago, if I can find it, it said, uh, For if we were to judge ourselves, we should not be judged. That means because you would always make excuses to justify your acts one way or another. And that's why you hear people saying all the time, I'm a good person, and if heaven's good, I've lived my life good. Com like, uh, compared to what? To what standard? I know people that say that, and they have big, huge investment portfolios, and they're making money at other people's expenses. Somewhere around the world, somebody, their brother or sister, somewhere around the world, we're all brothers and sisters in God, is getting pounded down. Their human rights are being violated. Mother Nature's rights are being violated. But here's Mr. Uh, Mr. Perfect here saying, I'm a good person, and if it's heaven is about good people and Jesus is love, then I'll be in heaven because, you know, I've lived my life as good as I could. Well, your investment portfolio and everything you profited on or some of your profit or your gain was at someone else's expense somewhere down the line. So you should review your investment portfolio and give it up for God. God's going to require that of you. So many people are guilty of that. Uh, seven, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things in truth. Charity will never fail. Okay, now, remember that there is no, um, you know what, I skipped something in verse 3 that's so huge. 
It says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains and have, and have not charity, I'm nothing. Now, this remove mountains, sorry to go back to verse 3 here, but it says in the Bible, when Christ says, if you have faith, you can move a mountain. And we have to touch on this because obviously you can't walk up to a mountain and say, yeah, get out of my way, y'all. Like, let's go, move. It's never going to happen. So that doesn't mean that. And so you go back to the original language. Now, the English language is not capable of articulating the sense and meaning of the original Hebrew or Greek words found in the manuscripts. Um, in other words, uh, English cannot adequately uh, encapsulate the extent of the thoroughness and intended conveyance of thought found in the original pictorial-based languages. So when it says you remove mountains, just go back to the manuscripts and get out your lexicon. And it means to remove means to, it's the word methysme. It means to dispose of old and change to new. Okay, so I'm going to read this. I could dispose of the old and change of new. And mountains is a descriptive word meaning it's lifted up above the plain. And it's always used in the Bible, not every time. But it's used in the Bible over and over again as nation. A hill is like a city. A mountain is like something that's raised up out of the plain. So you're driving across the prairies like I've done a couple times in Canada. All of a sudden, it's just flat forever. And then all of a sudden, you see something coming up out of the plain. There we have the descriptive languages that the English cannot ad adequately encapsulate. And the descriptive language in the Hebrew and the Greek, that's what a mountain means. And if you translate within the Bible, you see mountain is nation. A hill is smaller city. And mountain can even be your household. It's just where people dwell. That's why it says valley, the isles. You know, it's not like, oh, we're going to go do some major landscaping here just because I have some faith. And you can remove mountains. You can remove, you can dispose of the old, old train of thought that they have and change it to a new if you have faith. And you can plant the seed there and God will make it grow if those people want it to grow. If they have it in them, they can resist it all they want. But that's what that means going back to verse 3. And I'm sorry about that for skipping that because a lot of people have asked me that question. Okay, now we're back in verse 8. But when there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish. That means it fails without charity. Okay, now... Also, in the manuscripts, there is no punctuation. So sometimes sentences in the English make no sense whatsoever, but that's the sense and meaning of that verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is mature is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And verse 11 explains this. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I, I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. This all means to mature and grow in the many-membered body. This, always, this means get past the salvation message. Like how many times do you have to hear it? You can hear it a bunch of times, but then it's, that's called the milk of the word. It's like a baby, a child. If you had a child milk, and then they need the meat to grow. You need some uh, like food stuff to grow. And that's what that means. You need to mature. Now, take the word perfect out of there. There's only one was perfect, and that was Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Going down to verse 12. 
For now, we see through a glass, darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. In other words, you start off <clears throat> being born again. That means born from above. You want to get rid of your doctrines and all your ideals and all the hearsay that you've come up with, that you've created a religion for yourself. And you get rid of all those things, and you submit with unquestioned obedience to your Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the Word. He came in the volume of the book. There's nothing to be added and nothing to be taken away. And He is the Word. And the Word in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, Emmanuel. And we grow with Him. At first... We're in the dark without Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We're making things up. We're watching news and listening to the radio, and we're thinking, oh, analysis is speculators, experts in their field. Oh, here's another graph. Here's another uh, prediction from some prediction guy. And Oh, he's, he looks good with the three-piece suit and, uh, you know, perfect teeth and hair. This guy must know. He's from a big university. Yeah, well, that's all darkness. These people don't know nothing. The Bible tells us everything to the letter, what's going down, even to this very exact day, tomorrow, the next day, from infinity back to infinity forward. And I know in part, okay, this, and, and let's finish up this. So, okay, dark glass. So f at first, he's using the analogy, at first you're in the dark, and then you get to know a little bit more face to face. You get to know the Bible. Someone's teaching it to you. You start to learn it and understand. You pray for understanding, and you start to know in part, and then I know even as I also am known, and then you become a mature Christian. Like you go from a child to a man, woman, to a man or woman of God. You mature. That's what that's all about. Immature people, they just stay the same. They hide in their egotism, they think they know better, and they make it up for themselves. They tweak God's word, or they make up some religion uh, that suits their lifestyle and suits their immediate train of thought. They never think about, oh, well, I'm only around here for a couple years. I'm going to die in a couple years. We're all going to die in a few years, like 30 years, 10 years, 5 years. You can't negotiate with fate. You're going to die, and you're going to find the truth. And it's not, it's not something that you've made up at your convenience because of the times or what society says or popular society. You have to tweak your lifestyle to suit God's Word. God's Word is the only consistent doctrine that's been around since the beginning of time. 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. And remember in Hosea 6.6, 6, love is what God wanted, but he won't interfere with your free will love. And when you repent, it's from the heart. It's not grudgingly. It's not because you, you're worried about the outcome or worried about the consequences. You repent because you want the love of Christ in your heart, and you'll soon realize that's all you need. And I hope you enjoyed that. My name is Mike. This is a Companion Chapel, and... Thank you very much. Have a great day. Bye for now.